Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant. For no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I will meditate on all you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Wow. We thank God for his word. And I love the Psalms. I make no secret, by the way, that Proverbs is still my favorite book of the scriptures, but Psalms is running a close second. And do you know why? I think at many intersections and moments of our lives, every single person here could have written this particular Psalm or any other Psalm. When we see, invariably David, but others that wrote Psalms, we see so much of what our challenges are today present in and through the Word of God. And so I want you to take a moment before we go on our journey together to consider your own language and narrative in your individual prayer life. I'm certain that there would be considerable overlap with what we've just read here in Psalm 143 at different moments in different times and seasons in your life. But you know, our hearts must be determined to acknowledge and appreciate the rhythms and routines of our lives that produce intimate and intricate moments where our heart has to be examined. And a huge challenge, I think, for most Christians is we're led by our emotions and our feelings and not necessarily the Word of God. I think we arrive at the Word of God at some point in that journey but I think as a default, we start to have our feelings and our emotions that start to dominate and control our hearts and our lives. Which leads me to a question. When did you last deeply cry out to the Lord in your distress? Was it this morning? When did you last make every lie and limitation in your life completely obsolete? Or do you still feel that the challenges that are converging in your life are dominating the landscape of your prayer life? Where did you last ruminate and reflect on the glory and the greatness of God manifesting in your life. That has to be at the forefront of our prayer life, our thought life, 
how we act, how we live, how we communicate, how we carry ourselves as believers. Because, you know, troubled times are present in the life of every believer. Get used to it. Amen? And that is inescapable reality demands that we need to create Christ-centered responses to gain victory in those moments of adversity. So the goal of our time this season is to navigate our way through our emotions and our feelings wherever you are in whatever season you find yourself in so that in every trial you will be able to give glory to God in every moment. Amen? So a little bit of context or scene setting. David wrote this psalm like many of the other psalms and he actually draws some of the verses that we've just read from earlier psalms in the scriptures which tells me something that memorizing scripture is super important. Amen? Amen? It's not just knowing the, what the Word of God says, it's being able to memorize it and be able to declare and decree it in those moments when those challenges start to emerge in your life. David did it. He's in a moment of deep anguish, deep distress, and immediately he starts referencing previous verses from Psalm 77 and other Psalms that we likely he wrote. Which means that we have the potential to find peace amidst the turmoil and the trials. Now that is easier said than done, but the Psalms give us an antidote to the anxiety, to the fear that can grip our lives as we seek to honor God. The Bible says that there is nothing new under the sun. How many times after a service have you tried to connect with someone? Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. No. The reality is you probably do know what that person is going through because the Bible says there is nothing new under the sun, which means the anguish, the stress, the challenges, the trials that you may be going through today, the person next to you could have gone through it a week ago, a month ago. Amen? And therefore you can gain victory as you lean into God's word, as you trust in his promises. But more than that, we need to give proper perspective to our challenges when they're framed against the presence of God. They fall away. So verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness. So David starts this psalm with profound humility against a backdrop of deep anguish, which means he is starting well. He is clear about where his help comes from. He isn't present presenting some form of conjecture for our consideration here. He's explicitly clear about where his help comes from. He knows that God is faithful, which means he has found the answer to dismantling the concerns about his current plight by allowing this humility to overflow in his heart. He pleads for God to hear his prayer. Why? The promises of God is faithful. God is not being appraised by David. God is not being interrogated or investigated by David. David knows God's faithfulness. David at this point is reinforcing the care, the compassion, the commitment, and the concern that God has for him. That should be an amazing measure of comfort for you in your own life. That God knows what you're going through. You're not alone. More than that, David is showing us so clearly, so eloquently, that God is not just accessible, he's available to us. And that we can be in his presence. We can find answers. We can lean into that mercy each and every day. 
Verses 3 and 4. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. David is now taking time to paint a desperately depressing and devastating picture of his situations. Now his challenges at surface level seem insurmountable and he is freely admitting to being completely overwhelmed and overrun by the trauma that is in his heart. I have a serious question for you. Are you in that place today? Are the challenges of your life the issues that need attention, the tension that might reside in your heart, the financial restraints, the lack of provision in any and every area of your life? Are those moments now starting to bring a lot of tension? Are you seeing the worst in your situation? Can I tell you, friends, God is going to break through. God is faithful. God is faithful. Your circumstances are temporary, but God is eternal. And He will make a way where there appears to be no way. You do not have to live under the constraints of your challenges. You will rise above, you will flourish, you will win and gain victory, and you will live in that victory in Jesus' name. But maybe we need to start from a place of reality. Because when we communicate the totality of our trials, the grave state, the stature of our problems are brought into immediate focus in our lives. Now, for context, David is probably referencing the single biggest, darkest moment in his life. He's on the run from Saul. But you know, even in the worst moment, God can still break through. Amen. Why? Because God is faithful. So in your own heart, is the enemy running relentlessly through your heart? Is unforgiveness evident and obvious? Are you harboring jealousy? What are the issues that are in your heart? Because it might be that you're at a point and a place where you think it's irreparable, irreversible, that God can't do it. You're going to have to learn to live in this season. You're going to have to learn to carry that problem, that challenge. Can I tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus died for freedom. Total freedom. Freedom that can only be attained through Jesus Christ. So what is your current reality? What is imposing itself on you that's stealing and distorting your prayer life? Are you surrounded by forces and foes that are seeking to crush you, seeking to challenge you, seeking to suppress you, to stop you being who Christ has called you to be? Can I tell you they will never win? You are the head and not the tail. You are first and not last. Jesus has never been defeated. You will live in victory. You won't just have a moment of it. You will live in victory because of what Jesus did at the cross. Can I tell you, we need to get out in front when it comes to our situations. It's time to confront those giants and not just name it and claim it, but find the kingdom principles that will lead us to victory. And there is only ultimately one way to achieve this, and that's the intervention of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So drop your eyes with me to verse 5, right down the middle of this psalm. I'm going to settle here for a moment, because I think this is the start of the first fruits of David finding 
that freedom. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. So David here is taking his first steps to neutralize his problems. He's taking time to outline a challenging situation, but move forward. The confusing, chaotic opening verses gloriously give way as David starts to remember all that God has done. When did you last reflect on all that God has done in your life? Can you imagine if God himself supernaturally showed you every single breakthrough that you've ever received as a child of the Most High God? I have only one word to describe it, incalculable. You would not be able to give me a finite number, answer, or, or some form of measurement that could capture the totality of that. Why? Because God lives outside of every human limitation. And his ability to provide will never be questioned. Because God is faithful. Full credit to David here. I have to be honest, I don't know that I would get to that point. You know, he's just expressed all the turmoil, all the distress of everything he's going through. His darkest moment. Ah, hang on. But then I remember. Your wonderful deeds, plural. Can I remind you, friends, you need to remember every single breakthrough that you've got. Do you know what it builds? It builds confidence. It builds strength. It gives you courage and a boldness to trust and believe God for whatever the next breakthrough or current breakthrough is needed in your life. And here's the best part. Take a moment, I dare you, appraise God. He's 100 out of 100. He's 333 out of 333 of your prayers. You know he's never let you down. Never. And he's not going to start tonight. But when did you last genuinely contemplate and consider the power of God operating in your life? It's so easy when we go through challenges to only see what's in front of us, the physical. We only see what we think God is or isn't doing. God is always working. He will make a way where there appears to be no way. And we need to start looking at our challenges and circumstances from the supernatural vantage point that he sees them from, i.e. through the lens of Christ. Because the value and the power of this cannot be ignored or underestimated. David deployed that strategy, and I think it's something we need to implement in our personal lives. And more than that, it's not just for you to consider. This requires action and activation on your part. It is insufficient for you to say, oh yes, Brother Scott, that was a good word, and walk off home. No, no, please. This requires you to activate it. And so can I encourage you? If you don't know any promises of God, take time. Find two or three promises in the Scriptures for each and every day, and every morning declare them. Whether you feel like it or not. Do you know, God's Word is not on trial. You know, God's word doesn't somehow dilute because you don't fancy reading it today. God's promises over your life are available and accessible, but we need to posture and position ourselves to receive what he is so freely willing to give us. Amen. We can take comfort and confidence knowing that God will always make a way. He's not absent. He's not aloof from our life. He's writing every single word of every single chapter, in every single day, in every single week, in every single month. He is perfectly consistent in every part and area of your life. He is active and alive. And so that leads us to one conviction. 
Jesus has already conquered your challenge. Some of you genuinely don't believe that because you've been buffeted and bruised by these challenges for so long that you don't think that there is a way out. Lies from the pit of hell again. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing will steal his glory in your life and nothing is going to distort or diminish your destiny that he has positioned you for over your life. The battle belongs to him. And sometimes, friends, we need to do what David did here. And that's to bask bravely in the failures, the frailties, and the faults in our own lives. And it's in those moments of deliverance that we will find divine demonstrations of God's grace over every demonic attack, over every spiritual attack over our lives. Because these verses give us the opportunity tonight to reassert, reinforce, and remind ourselves of God's promises. Verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. David is basically saying, I want more of God. So as a result of reminding himself of all that God has done, what has it fueled? I want more of God's presence. I want more of God's glory. I want more of God's manifestation in and through my life. The same needs to be true for us. He's not satisfied. He's not content with merely remembering all that God has done. He's leaning in, in the midst of deep distress and trial. He is prepared to step forward with courage and boldness to have more of God. Amen. My soul thirsts for God. Reminds me, I'm sure we all know it, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul thirsts for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet God? You know, when you stretch out your hands in the natural, there is an anticipated expectation that you're about to receive something. We need to do the same in the spiritual. We need to stretch out our hands to receive all that God has for us. But for some of us here, we recoil and retreat because we fear rejection. We fear that God isn't going to give us what we think we need or what he does give us is going to be horribly insufficient. You know, God will do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can possibly imagine in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 7. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. And so David now is taking time to remind us that although our challenges can contain and consume us, there is something far worse. God ignoring, God rejecting him. Can you imagine that being your portion? Can you imagine in your prayer life, would you pray if you knew that God was going to reject or ignore you? Your prayer life just went, ooh. So there is something worse than your challenge. There is something more difficult to navigate than the issues in our lives. And David is basically saying, the game is up. He's done. He's finished if God doesn't turn up, if God doesn't come through, if God somehow relinquishes or rejects his care towards him. He's finished. And I think in our own lives, the regret and the remorse that would flood our hearts would be in, 
measurable. We wouldn't be able to comprehend that. The unimaginable coming into excruciating existence in our lives. But, praise God, it is not our portion in Jesus' name. And David determines to declare why in the very next verse. We will find, friends, verses 8 through 10 give us the principles to victory. So don't reduce or redact God's promises over your life. Reinforce and remember them. Don't buckle or bow into the trials and challenges of your life. David gives us the keys that we need to implement in our own life. He's not making any baseless, far-fetched remarks. They are steeped and saturated in the confidence that he has in Christ. Verse 8, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Essentially, David is requesting, I could argue you could stretch it and suggest, he's demanding a fresh manifestation of God's glory and God's power operating in his life. Amen and amen. Right down the middle of his trials and struggles. But he takes time to remind him, himself, and therefore us, of where his trust resides. He doesn't offer alternatives. He doesn't give us a menu from which to choose. He states it explicitly clear to us. Why? He's very precise and he's very, very protective of the trust that he possesses in Christ. He values it. He won't accept the challenges of his life, just simply trying to dilute or deconstruct it in any way. And I think that's a healthy reminder for us, that we need to start remembering who God is in our life, that we need to start remembering that it is his love and it is his steadfast, unconditional, relentless, perfect love that is made available to each and every one of us, that we can tap into at any moment, in any season, in any circumstance of our lives. And you know, it's even more pertinent when you take that bold step when you're in moments that are painful. And those moments that punctuate our lives require us in those moments to step forward because the, tr the cost of trust and faith is most high when the challenges are most profound. It's easy to love God when all the provision is there, when you're in a season of abundance in every area of your life. Easy to trust God. But in the deep, deepest, darkest depths of your trials and challenges, our perspective can shift in those moments. Make me know the way I should go. I think that speaks to his destiny, his calling in the Lord. Make me. I find those words interesting because it tells me very clearly that his own default position would not to be the will of, not to do the will of God in his life. You know, if you have to make someone do something, it's because they wouldn't naturally or ordinarily do that. Which tells me, friends, we can easily be distracted or discouraged from the destiny that he has already ordained for us. We need to stay on that narrow road that leads to the way that he calls us to live. I think we need discipline in that area. For to you I lift up my soul. A basic reminder that he recognizes the sovereignty of God in his life. Verse 9. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. These moments of reflection are now having a profound impact and influence on how David chooses to perceive his problems. He's no longer struggling under the strain of his issues. He's making bold, brave, and dare I say it, even pretty boisterous demands of God in that moment. 
He's accepting but assertive in his situation, which is a rare quality to demonstrate. Can I make a suggestion to us, friends? We need to stop playing God in our own lives. We need to let God be God, let God do the things that he is called to do and meant to do. We need to do our part and trust God for the rest, which means we need to surrender a measure of control. And that doesn't work for many of us. Because we believe control equals power. Power equals I can dictate and determine the outcome. How's that working out for you? The only way this works is if we surrender to God. Because that's where God will get all the glory. We need to demonstrate the humility that David did at the start of this psalm. Which means we need to burn our pride. We need to know who, and who can help us and how they can help us. All in with God. For I have fled... To your refuge. When you flee something, it screams urgency, desperation. It states to me that the situation that you find yourself in is unstable. There is an immediate danger in the current context. And we know that God is our strong tower and our refuge. Psalm 63. Amen. We know that God's capacity and capability of providing protection for us is unblemished. We sit here today in the presence of the Almighty God. Why? Because of his sovereign protection over our lives. Amen? Amen? But often we lose sight of that protection and provision. Because we find ourselves secretly or blatantly, depending on where we are, appraising God in every moment of our lives. You know that God is not on trial in your life. God has never let you down. Our deepest desire is to honor him in every part of our life. Which means... Though the sorrow may last for the night, what happens? The joy comes in the morning. The next day there is fresh hope to overcome the challenges and problems of our lives. Amen? Verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Now David at this point is on a roll. There is nothing negative he's presented in the last three or four verses. He is highlighting all that he is in God. And he's even prepared to be taught and trained by God in the middle of his circumstances. Now I have to say, in my own heart and life, I think that is absolutely astounding. How many of us here, in the midst of your battle, would be prepared to learn some kingdom principles? I think the first thought is, God, fix this problem, get it resolved, do your part, sort it out, then we'll talk. No, just me? Okay, I'll let that marinate in your heart. I'm sure you will draw your own answers, honestly. But that's the reality, isn't it? We want God to fix the problem, but sometimes he needs to fix us before he fixes our problems. Amen? And we need to position ourselves for that. Teach me to do your will. Teaching and training. So regardless of how real, how robust your relationship is with Christ, we, can, we are susceptible to strain from his will. This is David. I mean, in a nutshell, he is known as a man after God's own heart. And here he is declaring, teach me to do your will. Which means that we are liable to lingering away from what his plan and his purpose is which means that we need to demonstrate determination and dedication to fulfill the plan and purpose of God 
over our lives. And can I just say to you, often that lingering moments where you start to lean away from what God is doing, it's very subtle, very, very subtle and very silent, but it occurs. But David is making a statement of truth here. What is he really saying? When he says, teach me to do your will, the first thing he's saying is, I have no desire for any of my personal goals or agendas. He surrendered them. No goals, no personal agendas, no personal preferences, nothing. Teach me to do your will, not my will, he says. So he has completely surrendered any thought, any idea about pursuing the stuff that might be on his heart. Hmm. I wonder how we're doing with that. More than that, he's prepared to pay the cost. You know, when you only pursue God's will for your life, stuff is going to fall away from your life. Amen? People, situations, they're going to fall away from your life. The further you go with God, the less you can take with you. And then he closes out that verse with, For you are my God. A timely reminder that we need to acknowledge, affirm, and assert that reality in our own lives. We need to declare and decree the truth and the word of God over our lives. That will be how we gain our breakthrough. Let your good spirit lead me. No confidence in leading himself. No sense that I'm going to get out in front, that I'm going to dictate and determine the pitch and pace of my life. No, he's saying, Lord, I need your spirit to lead me. Complete surrender to the power and the potency of the Holy Spirit in his life. No appetite for anything in this world. He has got an acute awareness of the need to engage with the Holy Spirit. Because our obedience to God's word is reflected in the immediacy, the totality, and the completeness of God's rescuing power in and through our lives. That's where the breakthrough emerges. Verses 11 and 12. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. Which tells me here, as he's drawing his thoughts to a close, that the urgency for protection and the preservation of life is birthed out of an authentic righteousness that David correctly attributes to God. David knows beyond any doubt that God will renew, God will restore, God will revive, and God will refresh him. Why? Because God himself is the definition of righteousness. And God will always do what he says he will do. God never retreats, never recoils from those ordained opportunities that he has placed in your life. The question is, are you prepared to step forward? In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your turmoil, and your trauma, and the troubles that might pervade every part of your life, it's in those moments where your heart, your trust, your confidence is under fire most. And it's in those moments where our faith grows in God. And it's in the most moments where God will use you in ways that you could never possibly imagine in your own mind. You can't comprehend the way that God wants to use you. All of these verses capture a core consideration. Everything here is relational. It's a direct conversation between him and God. There's no middlemen. <laughs> There's no other involved parties. No, no, no. Straight conversation between him and God, which screams personal relationship. Read it in your own time again. Right the way through, your, your 
your I, 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 all the way through. It's the heartbeat of a man that deeply loves God. And yet, here's the awkward part. I shouldn't say this. There's no evidence that God moved. Shouldn't have said that. No. It's a fact. There is absolutely no evidence that God moved and God delivered him. But David's heart is steadfast, secure, stable, and strong in his love for God. And I wonder, in our own lives, in similar situations, what would we do? Would we be prepared in those moments of pain to allow ourselves to first be delivered by God, to let him move in ways that we didn't expect or imagine, and actually it's not even about God delivering us. It's about positioning and posturing our heart so that God can deliver us. Because he can and he will, but sometimes he's got to work internally before he works externally. Sometimes he has to deal with the spiritual stuff before he deals with the very practical stuff. Need for finance, accommodation, clothing, friends, relationships, etc. But often we mix that around. God, you move first. You do what I want you to do. Then maybe, eh, just maybe, I'll do my part. No. No. That's not how God is going to work. God is going to move and do what he needs to do in us so that we can appreciate and accept what he then does through us. And it's in those moments that we understand the power and the sovereignty of the the Lord in our lives. Amen? And so with a humble heart, he reminds himself and us that he is a servant of God. Cries out, confident that he'll be heard. And when we have that same humility of heart and we appeal to our faithful Father, we know that he cares, he hears, and he will answer. So what have we learned today? Whatever our, trials are, we are, whatever our trials are that we are facing, God can and God will deliver us. He will lift you up, he will strengthen you, and put you on solid ground. There is not a single need that you possess that he is not aware of. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear. For I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Whatever your burdens are, give them to God. Hand them over to him. Surrender them to him. Which means, friends, at this point, we must arrive at the destination of declaring and determining that God and God alone is all that we need. Which means that it requires us to refuse and reject the easy option of measuring God's will for our life based on our feelings and emotion. You know why? They can and they do and they will deceive you. God will never deceive you. God's word will never deceive you. But our feelings and our emotions can and do deceive us. The languishing lament that David had over his circumstances succumbed to a successful reorientation of his heart to the Father. And that's what's required of us tonight for us to navigate the challenges in our lives so that we can triumph, 
that we can live in the victory that he has for us. He was committed to the journey. He carried out that conviction that he had in Christ. That truth propelled him towards the promises and the protection of God in his life. And that was the love that Jesus poured out for him. We need to have that same awareness this, this evening. Amen? And so right where you are, I want you to take a few moments. Bow your head if you wish to. But I want you to think about the troubles, the trials, dare I say it, moments of trauma in your life. They don't define you. They don't shape your value. They no longer restrict you. And I'm going to pray for us. And I just sense it's, it's going to be peaceful, it's going to be gentle, there's not going to be a need to shout and scream. Some of us are holding on to trauma because we find it easier to play victim in our life. I want you to surrender that tonight. You are not the total sum of your childhood experiences. You are worth more than your greatest addiction, your greatest mindset, the generational curses that may or may not be in your family. You are worth far more than the lies that have ever been spoken over your life. And something needs to shift and break in the spiritual realm for some of us here tonight to be able to see the love of God in a way that we haven't seen or even experienced before. And David expressed it. He recognized where his help came from. He acknowledged his own frailties and failures. And he was able to surrender those and, and, and recognize that ultimately he in and of himself could not save himself, could not help himself. Which tells me that some of us here need to surrender this unhealthy obsession for control in fixing some of the challenges in our lives. And that's going to demand us to trust in God in a deeper way. It's going to fuel greater levels of faith. It's going to cause God to pour out more provision. But more than that, we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living we will taste and see that he is good because he alone is faithful. 